Welcome to the Cornerstone Church Podcast. We are glad you are taking advantage of this resource. If you would like to find out more information about our church or connect with us, go to cornerstonebv.org. You can also check us out on our Facebook page, at CornerstoneBV. We hope that the message today impacts your life and draws you closer in your walk with Christ. Amen. Well, good morning. How are we doing? I don't want to see it that well. No, I'm just kidding. I can't read when those are on, that's why. Um, thanks, Mike. Appreciate that. And uh, it was a, a great video. I also have a little video to show you. It's not nearly as important as Mike's, I promise you. Um, but I want, as we watch this, I want you to think about what am I feeling right now? Um, and, and so it, this is actually uh, a movie clip of a of speech that was actually given in reality. And if you're old enough to remember the 1980 Olympic Games at Lake Placid, uh, and there was a gold medal hockey game between the Russians and the United States. And the Russians had just demolished everybody. They were professionals, and they were grown men. Whereas back then, the United States only played amateur. They were college students. So they were good, but not nearly as good as them. And really, no one gave them any chance at all to win. And so there was this speech given. And as you watch, just a couple of minutes, we're not going to show the whole thing. What are you feeling as you see it? What does it inspire you to do? Besides play hockey. All right. Great moments are born from great opportunity. And that's what you have here tonight, boys. That's what you've earned here tonight. One game. If we played them 10 times, they might win nine. Not this game. Not tonight. Tonight, we skate with them. Tonight, we stay with them. And we shut them down because we can. Tonight, we are the greatest hockey team.
You were born to be hockey players. Every one of you. And you were meant to be here tonight. This is your time. Always a threat. Play more, play more. Go home and watch the rest, okay? Now, who wants to go play hockey? Even I do, and I don't even know how to skate, to be honest. Um, but the, the, the idea that I want you to, to, to consider is what you feel when you watch, whether it's that or it's, you know, Hoosiers or Rocky Balboa giving a speech or, uh, you know, Braveheart, freedom, you know, and you want to run into battle or whatever it might be. Pretty much anything Bruce Willis has ever said gets you inspired, obviously, right? So when you, why do we love, no matter who you are, how old you are, you, like, we love movies like that. We love those speeches. And I would contend it is because we were made for that, right? We were made for things like risk, for things like sacrifice, facing our fears for something that means so much. Now, for them, it was a gold medal hockey game, right? Okay. But I want you to think about this. What would you, if your house was on fire, and that's not a great thing to think about, but what would you, as you're out there, what would cause you to run back in? Would it be a child? Probably. Some other person you love, it's in there. Some of you even know the fire department would say, don't. A pet, you might run back in, right? An heirloom. But then there's other things that mean something to you, but not that much. And so that's how you know if something or someone is actually valuable to you. You will risk, you will sacrifice, you will face fears, right, to get it. And I think that's why this inspires us so much. Because God made you for something greater. Yeah, comfort and and leisure there is a place for that he built it in it's called the sabbath to rest in his grace so that's something wrong with that but you were not made to gain more and more rest pleasure and leisure that's why the people who have the most are the most depressed because that is not what is inside of us and so as we continue our faith series we're going to see that aspect of faith that if it means something to you if the lord jesus means something to me i will risk i will sacrifice I will face my fears and ask the Lord for more and more courage in that face of fear. So let's pray. Father, we, we thank you that you've gathered us this morning to look at this idea of risky faith. And Lord, I pray you would teach us that no matter what it is in our life, if something means something to us, we're willing to risk and sacrifice for it. And so I pray, Lord, you would show us each one, each individual, from our young to our much older and everywhere in between, where we are at right now, are you valuable to us, Lord? Do you matter enough for us to risk, to sacrifice, to face our fears? I pray that you would use Moses and his parents as that example of what it means to risk and have courage in the face of our fears in this world. And Lord, I pray that you would do work through your Holy Spirit that only you can do through sharing and looking at your truth together. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen.
Amen. Um, well, uh, we're back into our faith series. This uh, last week, of course, was a little bit different, and uh, I'm beyond thankful, as I've said many times, but really just want to say again and reiterate how thankful I am for all the many of you that helped in various ways this past week, able to, with all restrictions and everything that we, we have to deal with, uh, pull off six different services in four days. Um, and that, that takes cleaners and greeters and worship teams and children's and, uh, nursery and many of you just praying. And I wish I could sh- had time to share the different stories that I get to hear of what God did through a song or through a smile from somebody else. Um, it's not just the sermon. It is the whole gathering of God's people that draw people closer to him. And uh, we couldn't do that with all of you. And uh, so thankful for, for everyone in this church. And um, but we're back to this faith series where we've been looking at Hebrews chapter 11. And, and I want you to remember the context, right? Because the, the Hebrews writer was writing to an actual church. And they were getting weary because of persecution and suffering. And, 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 and they were actually kind of, in a way, losing sight that Christ is so valuable. And, and what awaits them, the rewards of heaven, right? The glorious riches of Christ is it worth it because I'm suffering reproach and I'm suffering from, from being a Christian and meeting together and they were giving up and they were growing weary and they were backing off and he was trying to get them the whole letter to just say, don't, Christ is worth it. It's hard, but he's worth it, right? So it makes sense that in this faith hall of fame, he's going to get to this idea and really it's throughout it, but specifically in, as he gets to uh, the life of Moses. And so we have seen, if you've been with us, he's been kind of going, not kind of, he's been going chronologically through Genesis. And he went from creation all the way last time uh, we finished with the patriarchs and Joseph, end of Genesis. And so now he's actually going to uh, move into Exodus and spend a little bit of time uh, using the life of Moses and what we can learn about faith to not grow weary. And so in, in, in that, you can see he starts off by saying, By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. I'm not sure what that means exactly. The child was beautiful. No one really <laughs> seems to know what that means. I've known a lot of babies in my life, and I know you preciously love your babies, but beautiful? I don't know. They're little vipers and diapers, let's just be honest. And they, they cry and they scream and they don't let you sleep. Um, so, but we love them and maybe that's what it's saying. Is it's a healthy baby uh, and, and, and something about seeing that baby, God did something in their hearts. So this first example is not actually Moses. It's Moses' parents, isn't it? it it's his parents. The Exodus story is only going to mention his mother and his sister, but clearly his father was right there as well as part of this, this plan by faith. Okay, so as it, uh, what I'm going to do is, is kind of read through just a part of this story. It's going to be familiar to a lot of you. I preached through this a number of years ago. Maybe you remember I love the life of Moses, not just because of Moses, but what, just how all the pieces um, get brought together. It just shows, wow, God just has such a master plan that we don't often see when it's happening. And so Genesis ended, right? Joseph's the right-hand man. He dies. So the Hebrew people are in Goshen. They're flourishing. They're growing. And for generations, they get numerous and numerous and they, uh, amounts of, of people. And, and, and so they, they enjoyed that great time under Moses. But by the time you get to Exodus, the Pharaoh doesn't remember Moses. And he hates these Hebrew people. 
There's so many of them, and, they, and he's afraid. They're going to conquer Egypt, right? So he decides to put them under slavery, and they're under this crushing slavery. Horrible, right? But they continue to flourish. They continue to get numbers of people. And so, so he decides, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to make an edict that every single male uh, child that's born amongst the Hebrew people has to be thrown in the Nile and drowned. Imagine that. So that's the Pharaoh's idea, but really that is always satanic. Every time there's a plan hatched to wipe out God's people, try to crush God's promise, right? It's from Satan. And it almost always involves death. And it involves death of whole uh, groups of people. And whenever you see that death by convenience, a group of people, you know Satan is at work in this. Because he's trying to stop God's plan. It'll never happen. But he's trying so hard. And so this was a big one. If you wipe out all the males of the Hebrew people, they'll die off. And in the meantime, you're wiping out all of their future soldiers so they can never rise up and take us over. Right? So that's the climate. That, that, that's happening here that the Hebrews writer referred to. And so in Exodus 2, it says, A man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son. Now normally that's, yay, right? What does it feel like in this climate? It's terrifying. What are we going to do? We're supposed to kill this baby. If we don't, our whole family could be in trouble, right? And so that's, that's what they got to deal with. And when she saw that he was a fine child, again, I don't know what that means, but hey, man, he's a better baby than probably we were, right? She hid him three months, okay? So for three months, she hid him. But when she could hide him no longer, so what does that mean? Well, if you've had children in your life, you know, about three months, you can kind of keep them quiet. But after that, forget it. Right? They're, they're yelling and screaming. There's just no way. They start moving and crawling, and, and you're going to get in trouble. So his mom understood that. His dad understood that. And so they have to do something about this. They don't want to throw him in the Nile and kill him, of course, but they, but they can't risk their whole family. The Pharaoh has made this law, right? So she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with uh, bitumen. I, that's not Bitcoin. I don't know other than that what that is. Uh, and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the river bank. So the Nile River. His sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. So you can kind of his older sister like, oh my gosh, she already loves her little brother, right? And, 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 and we got to let him go. And, and what's going to happen? So the sister stays with him, right? And, and so as that happens, the daughter of Pharaoh came down to battle, to bathe at the river while her young woman walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman and she took it. Verse 6. When she opened it, she saw the child. Behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. This is one of the Hebrews' children. So his sister, who's right there watching, kind of pops out, right, and says, oh, says to the Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women, Hebrew women to nurse a child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said, yeah, go, that's a great idea. So the girl went and called the child's mother, her mother and Moses' mother, right? So... You can see how ironic this is. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. So think about it. The rule. You're going to take a male child and you're going to throw him and kill him in the Nile. This is a, an, a, a, an active attempt at God's promises and God's people. So what happens? It's through the Nile that Moses is saved. right? And it's who that saves him. Pharaoh's daughter. 
And not only that, she's not going to nurse a baby. So in his weaning, most impressionable years, before he gets a little bit older, right, she actually gives him to his mother to take care of him and raise him in the beginning, right? And she pays her for it. Isn't God great? You know, when you are looking around, and a lot of us do that right now, and you think, what in the world is going on with the world, right? People say that all the time to me. And I always just want to say, be encouraged. God is on his throne. And just when you think nothing could be worse, it couldn't be, God is working it all out. He just doesn't always clue us in on every detail. And that's really important because you're going to see, you've seen Moses' parents, they don't know how this is all going to work out. They just simplify things. I am going to trust God. I'm going to trust him. So she weans Moses, and, 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 and Moses lives with her for quite a while and recognizes by uh, his parents who he really is, who his God is, who his people are, right? And so eventually, though, um, in, in verse 10, when the child grew older, she, Moses' mother, brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. And so now the son who was supposed to be killed because of Pharaoh's decree right, is now going to be raised and enjoy all of the privileges of Pharaoh's house. God will never be thwarted by the plans of Satan ever. And so he grows up until he's, Stephen tells us he's about 40 years old, and, and he gets all of the advantages, the best education, best military training, best everything, everything possible, because he's now in the richest, most powerful man in the world's household. That's Moses, the little baby who was supposed to be drowned who was born of this poor slave couple. And so the Hebrews writer uses his parents to give us an example of faith, right? It was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict, right? They didn't know, right? So, so I want you to just think this, this first point about faith and that is real faith means real risk. They risked a lot by not following the Pharaoh's edict. This wasn't the U.S. government where like, oh, they might, you know, arrest me or throw a fine my way. This was Pharaoh. He could kill you on the spot. He could take everything away from you, right? So, so that's, that's sincere fear, right? And yet they're like, we aren't going to kill our son. We have to do something, and so we'll just kind of trust God, and then you know the rest of the story, and so I want you to think back, though, to what the Hebrews writer was dealing with. He's telling this church, these people, that it's worth it. And to, to have genuine faith, there's going to be genuine risk. Risk of what? Risk of your comforts. Risk of, of uh, your, your reputation in this world. Risk of, for them, death or imprisonment. There's going to be risk. And, and I can already kind of hear anyone who's, who's not a Christian. See, he's already telling me I'm going to have to risk a bunch of stuff. That's not what I'm here for. I need help, right? But you've got to realize you, were made, you get help. God is the God of help, right? But he has made you for this. And I can prove it to you. Think about the, the man or woman who uh, goes to a football game, back when you could do such things, right? And, 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 and it's their favorite team, and they're so excited, so they dress up in the most ridiculous manner ever. A jersey, and they paint their face, and they wear a wig, and they have giant foam fingers, and they're screaming in the stadium, right? If an alien came, they'd be like, what is going on? 
You look ridiculous. You don't care. You know why? Your team matters to you. You were made for it. It's just a matter of what you hold valuable. If I'm ready to do that for, you know, my favorite sports team, but I can't even show any exuberance all for the love of Jesus Christ, that says something about my heart. It just does. Risk shows if we have genuine faith, like the burning building. Right? If you were, if you, were uh, 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 you know, going into the burning building, it's something that genuinely matters to you for you to risk your life to do it. If you leave it behind, it doesn't. And so it's an honest question that his parents risked everything, right? And, and like you saw in the movie, except it's not hockey, but I love that line, this is your time. You see, we, we can easily, and I get like this sometimes, I'm like, you know, we're not, we're not that church, the Hebrews writer, we I mean, we're not exactly risking our lives here coming to church, right? There's other Christians all over the world who are, but we're not, right? We're not Moses, we're not a slave in Egypt and, and his parents and all that, like we're just, so does this really apply to us? Is God just sitting there going, well, Jamie, you are sure are lucky that you were born where you are and live where you are. How lucky of that? That's not how God operates. He's put every single one of us, every one of us, in this time, in this place. Your job, your family, your situation, this church, right? That, that he has given you the opportunity that you have. And that's what's beautiful. We have commonalities, but your risk might be just a little bit different than mine. Maybe it's that conversation God's been putting on, that heart, on your heart to talk to that coworker about Jesus because they're having a hard time and you're like, oh man, they're going to call me a Jesus weirdo. Or maybe that's your risk. Maybe you're a student and, and your risk is not to dress like everybody else because you know God wants you to have humility and, and he wants you to, 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 to not be like everybody else. And that, that's a risk. You know, is it the same risk as Moses' parents? No, but it's your risk. That's the point. Maybe it's a risk of, 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 of just, you know, I know people at their jobs, they sometimes risk getting laid off or fired because they have too much integrity. They have too much uh, uh, honesty. Like, you know what? You've got to figure out how to play the game around here. Uh-uh. Right? There's going to be a risk. There's a risk for uh, churches, and it's coming. You know, I'm, in, I'm clued in with a lot of discussion with other pastors of all different laws that are trying to pass and we know it's coming. I don't know how quick, but it's coming where there will come a time where they say, hey, if you continue to take a stance that is biblical, but we don't like, you're going to lose your uh, nonprofit status. It's coming. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? The answer, as long as I'm here, is we'll stand as gently and lovingly and kindly as we can. But we will stand on the word of God always and forever. But that means risk. It's going to. And so the question that I want us to ask God, of, uh, of each one of us, right, this today, this week, is what am I risking? You all, I mean, there's people, you, you, sometimes you forget, like, oh, yeah, I forgot I was even risking that, right, because you so love the Lord. I know we got that in this room, for sure. So that's a good thing. Celebrate that, you know, and do it more. Because the more you risk, the more important it becomes, Right? The, 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 think about your kids. You love them so much when they're babies. How much more do you love them when they're young adults? As much as they drive you crazy. Why is that? Because you have continually put your life on the line for them, and so you actually grow deeper in love with them. That happens with anything that's valuable to us, and it happens with Jesus. So if you're risking some, risk a little bit more. And so ask the Lord, what am I not risking that he wants me to risk? 
And I'm not saying God's calling you to go to, you know, the mission field tomorrow. Maybe he is. But he may not be. Maybe he's just asking you to say to your neighbor, hey, can I pray for you? This is a little tiny risk, but that might be yours. Take it. See what God does with it. Like we, we look around. We don't know what all of this is going to become, except we know God has the answer, and God wins in the end. And we want more of him. That's the point of what the Hebrews writer is trying to make, is this is our time. And so he, the, the Hebrews writer continues, but I want to bring us back before we see what else he has to say about Moses, right, and, and, and this kind of continue this Exodus account. Now, remember, he's, Moses is living high on the hog. He's in Pharaoh's household, and this is great, and he can have everything he could possibly want as the son of the Pharaoh's daughter. That makes him the Pharaoh's grandson, right, in a way. And so he, he, it says, one day when Moses had grown up, so again, Stephen says he's about 40, he went out to his people, that would be the Hebrew people, and he looked on their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian, and he hid him in the sand. Don't you kind of love that? You shouldn't, though. I admit I love it, even though that's sin, wrong, let's just be clear. But it's just kind of cool. He comes out, he sees Egyptian, you know, and the Egyptian is person he's supposed to be on the side, but he's like, that's my people, right? Gives him a throat punch, right, into the dirt, throws him in the stand, in the sand, and leaves him there. Like, that's why Bruce Willis should play Moses in the next time they depict this, right? But um, it was sin, and it was wrong, and it was against God's plan. But the Hebrews writer's not going to focus on all of that, right? The, the Hebrews writer is going to pull out how that shows faith. Because, um, it, 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 but I wanted to just pause for a second because we can look at Moses, just like the Hebrews, the, the church probably looked and said, wow, Mo- Moses is just a hero of the faith. He's just Moses, Ten Commandments, plagues, Moses. Moses had so many flaws, and you just saw one of them. How many here, don't raise your hand, please, have murdered somebody, right? He murdered somebody, left him in the sand, right, to rot, right? That, that's Moses. So, so if you're sitting there going, I'm a screw up. I don't know how I could ever be compared to Moses. You've probably got to leg up on Moses. And, and he's going to run the Midian and spend 40 years as an assistant shepherd, Right? He, he is not some gigantic like Christian hero. He is a man full of flaws and weaknesses and fears just like you. And yet, the Hebrews writer points out he's a giant man of faith just like you can be. You could say, today I'm trusting God. Today I'm going to risk something. And today I'm going to sacrifice something. The Hebrews writer says, by faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Moses had it all as an Egyptian member of Pharaoh's household, but for and by faith. He said, I don't want any of it because it means I can't be with my people and with my God. Where did Moses learn this? His mom, his dad. So parents, be encouraged. Or grandparents. You know, you see the picture of a family devotional and they're all sitting around going. And you're like, yes, that's how it's going to be. And you realize that's not how it ever is, right? 
Your kids are punching each other and throwing food across the room and messing with the remote control if it's a video, right? And you're like, what's the point? There is a point. There's always a point. Why do I come to church? My kid just screams and cries and I don't even hear anything. What's the point? There's always a point. You are instilling in your child, your grandchild, your niece, your nephew, whoever that is, that God is the best and Jesus is worth it. And that takes time, that impression, that legacy, but we see it in Moses' life. Because Moses learned that as he was being weaned by his mom and his dad. They taught him who God is. They taught him who his people are. And so he never forgot it. He lives a, gets, Now he has a, a choice to make. God and my people or Pharaoh's household, Egypt. And the, and the Hebrews writer says, by faith, Moses sacrificed. Right? He, he left the pleasures of sin. So what does that mean? Well, being part of the Pharaoh's household, you could have had the advantages of any woman you want, any drug or alcohol, any, I mean, you could have slaves. That's pretty sinful. You could, right, you're part of an edict that says, let's kill all the male children of one race. That's what Moses could have had. That would have been incredibly sinful. And he says, I don't want that. As much as that might personally benefit me and my pleasures and comforts, I don't want that. But secondly, let's say Moses learned enough to at least say, I'm not going to do any of that stuff, but I still want all that this offers, right, in, in my life, in, in Pharaoh's household. I want that. Well, that too would have been sinful because he would have chosen his own life of pleasure and luxury and advantage over where God wants him with him. So he had to choose, sacrifice because of my faith or stay. And I'm, I'm just here to say that there's a lot of professing Christians that choose the United States of America and one of the richest countries it's ever been and the privileges and advantages over being with God. Oh, we, we might go to church once in a while and we have hell insurance and, and, and if I really get in trouble, I'll pray to God. That is not what faith is. It just never was. Faith says, hey, whatever God blesses me with, great. Not everybody has to be, you know, Francis of Assisi or Mother Teresa. But it's not my world. It's not what I live for. He is someone greater and someone better. So by faith, I'm willing to give it up if I have to, to go where God wants me to go. Right? And that's what you were made to do. It's your time. The, the endless amounts of pleasures and comforts will absolutely never satisfy you. Well, how many times do I say this? Almost every week. It won't work. The older you are, you know that. You know it because you weren't made for it. And that's the whole point of the Hebrews writer. Now, he says this one other uh, verse in this section that really brings it home, the same uh, idea. He considered, that's Moses, the reproach of Christ greater uh, the reproach of Christ, greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Looking to the rewards of Christ. Now, Moses lived a long time before Jesus Christ, right? So lots of puzzlement over that over the years by scholars. Some say, because that word Christ really just means, is a translation of anointed one. And so you could use that word for prophets, which Moses was. So some think, well, he just knew that God's prophets, and they are, they're always suffering reproach. Christ was the culmination of that. People always hate God and hate anyone who represents God. Always been, always will, till Christ comes back. 
So maybe it was that. Others, he was a prophet, so he had some idea how much we don't know, but he understood that somehow he fit into God's plan and what God is doing, right, and how God is saving and how God is moving, and I'm a part of that, and I know that's going to suffer reproach, but I did it anyway. How did he do it is the point of this verse, and that is looking to the reward. That word looking, it's an interesting word. We see it in English, and we just think, well, you're looking at something, right? That can mean a whole lot of different things. What am I looking at? How am I looking at it, right? But this, uh, th- this Greek word actually means something very specific about looking. Now, how many are familiar with what a meme is? You all are. You may not know what they're called, right? They're pictures that you see, and they usually come with words, and they're either funny or they make a political point or something, right? And, and so uh, sometimes they're good, sometimes they're inappropriate, right? Often they are. And, and so this meme has gone viral. I almost guarantee you that if you've seen a meme, you have seen this one. Have you seen that one? Right? It's a, it's a very, like, you can see, like, he's with one woman, and she's not pleased because... He's not looking at the woman he should be looking at, right? And so people have used this for all kinds of things. Like an example, uh, the, the scientific nerd community, right? They put words to it. She's the solar eclipse. That's me looking at it, and that's scientific evidence that I'm going to hurt my eyes looking at the sun. Now, we don't think that's that funny because we're not science. Well, unless you're a science nerd, then you think that's funny. But there is millions of examples of this. And so why, Jamie, are you showing this, right? Because what he's doing that's sinful, of course. But what is he doing is that definition of that word looking. You were looking at something else, and now your gaze is fixed on something to you that's better. Right? That's better. And so the, the Hebrews writer says, Moses, who had all of the privileges of Egypt, looked at the rewards of Christ, no matter what he might uh, have to sacrifice, and he fixed his eyes on that, and that's what drove his life. And that's the idea for each and every one of us. If you're a Christian, I hope that you are. That means, yes, there are sometimes pleasures and comforts of Egypt, America. And sometimes you can enjoy those. There's nothing wrong with that, right? But your eyes aren't fixed here. Your eyes long for the eternal glories of Christ. That's why it takes faith. You're not experiencing all of those right now. Right? And, and, and think about the, the group that, he, that the Hebrews writer is writing to. They're experiencing nothing but, but reproach and hardship. And it's like, forget this. At least I can get a little fun. Right? This, this life's too hard. He's like, no. Keep your eyes fixed on him. He's worth it. And so that means, right, that real faith means real sacrifice. It just does. You already know this and things in your life that matter to you. You sacrifice for them without blinking because they matter to you. So this isn't like a, you've got to start impressing God, people, and give something up. I hate that. God is imp- impressed with that. It means, God, you are valuable enough that if you want me to give this up, I will. You're better. You're greater. You're more important. And so it digs at our heart a little bit because it can be hard to give up things that matter to us when God calls us to give them up. And sometimes God doesn't give us any choice. That can be hard. You know, um, past winter, uh, my son Nathan plays on a varsity basketball team, and if you have any experience with sports these days, it's terrible. The parents couldn't even go watch, right? So their answer, like everything, watch it online and that was just terrible right so so we're we're trying to watch these games I'm like oh this is I can't even tell what's going on I'm watching it on my phone or right so I I convinced our coach to let me do the play-by-play 
Because A, I could get in live and watch the games, and B, I thought it could be helpful. <laughs> Somebody's actually describing what's going on as you're trying to watch from home. And I did that, right? And, and at the end, like, the, the parents were over-the-top thankful. Thank you so much. They even gave me a gift, right? And I'm thinking, jokes on you people. I love this. Because they don't know. This, not doing varsity basketball games with no one in the gym, but play-by-play broadcasting and sports was my dream since I was like five. That was about when I realized I ain't going pro in anything, so I'll go talk about it. And I would pretend, and I went, and I would, I would, I just, every, I, would, I went to school for it. I, went, I, I got my whole undergrad degree in it. And I was the voice of our little college. I had a call-in show, a uh, sports show. I, I did hockey games. I don't know nothing about hockey. That was interesting. I did uh, uh, women's softball, women's soccer, anything, play-by-play, because that was what I, and God had given me this gift to speak and to all that stuff, right? And I'm like, this is it. This is my dream. And, and so I, I even graduated the semester early. I made this tape. I sent it out to hundreds of radio stations throughout the country, even like places like Arkansas wherever that is, right? And everywhere. And you know what I got? Nothing. Maybe one of those letters that say, you stink, we don't want you. I know that's not what it really says, but that's what we read, right? And why God? Right? I eventually had to get a job, and it wasn't horrible. I did college admissions for seven years, and it was fine, but it's not what I wanted. Why God? It seemed clear to me what I'm supposed to do until I realized Oh, God uniquely wired me to talk about him, not sports. And so now I look back and I think, oh, that was God's plan all along. I never knew. So when you're muddling through and you're like, I don't really know what, God's shutting doors left and right. He knows better. Now, what if the Celtics were to call me tonight? (laughs) And say, Sean Grandy, their play-by-play radio announcer, has uh, left for a better gig and we heard your amazing call of the Whitensville Christian basketball team. And we want you, right? I might pause for a second and go, Lord, this could be a ministry opportunity, right? And it pays better, right? So I could have, and I probably would think about it, and I'd probably con- try to convince my wife this made sense, right? And I realized this isn't going to happen. But if it did, I truly believe, and it's probably easier said than done, I truly believe I would say it's not what God has called me to do. I'd rather do this until you all bury me or whatever happens if one more person hears and responds to the beautiful gospel of Jesus Christ. It's worth it. It's worth it. It's worth it for you. And I know we've had many respond to that call. But even if it's just one more, just one more person you pray for. Just one more ministry that you do. Whatever it is, it's worth it. Whatever God calls you to give up. And you sometimes, because I wouldn't have chose wisely back then, God just shut the door. But sometimes, in just about every day, in small ways and bigger, we're given that choice that Moses had. Do I choose Egypt or do I choose God? And that's the question we need to ask. That's the question we want God to kind of let it simmer in our hearts. What am I sacrificing? I know a lot of you. Like you're sacrificing a lot. A lot of the, oh yeah. I didn't even realize that when I gave that much to the church or to that missionary or to that, that that's a sacrifice. I could have went to Hawaii a couple of times on that. But I don't want to do that. Yeah, but it's still a sacrifice, right? So you are already doing this. Your time, your attention, your affections, you are. So celebrate that, right? Just like what I talked about risk. Keep going. And then ask the hard question. God, 
What am I not sacrificing that you're calling me to? What am I holding on to that you're calling me to say, no, 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 I'm greater. And you want to fix our gaze that was on that to him and to the beautiful eternal rewards that will never rust, will never rot, will never be destroyed. To risk and to sacrifice is going to take courage. And so this will only take a few minutes, not as much as the first two, I promise. But when we, when we uh, let me just kind of finish that little Exodus story. This is when he, because remember he left the guy dead in the sand. That's where we left Moses. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews, no more Egyptians, now it's two of his people, were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? He answered, who made you a prince and judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, Surely the thing is known. I love this, by the way, and I don't have the time for it, but this is the beautiful irony of the scriptures and how God's story unfolds. Like, this is such a sentence of foreshadowing. It's, you know, think about it with me, right? So, so he says to Moses, who made you prince and judge over us? In 40 years, he'll find out. Moses is actually going to be called the prince of Egypt. You've seen the movie. Come on. And their judge. And another foreshadowing, just for Moses to get a little taste of what he has in store for. Because that's all he's going to hear for 40 years when he shepherds his people, right? It's constant griping. And so he didn't know it now, but God was already showing him, welcome to your life, Moses, for me. It'll be worth it, but get ready. And so uh, it says, when Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Hey, whenever you're not sure what to do, sit down by a well. Have a drink of water. Really, though, this links uh, God's story. When you think Isaac, his servant, was looking for a wife for Isaac, he sat down by a well and found her. Jacob, looking for a wife, he sat down by a well, found her. Moses sits down by a well, guess what he's going to find? A wife. All part of God's story and God's plan, but that's for another day. But he's sitting by a well, right? So here's the interesting thing that we don't really have time to explain. Besides, I don't know the answer, so don't ask me. But Hebrews writer says, by faith he left Egypt not being afraid. <laughs> just like, honestly, we just read it. He, he was kind of afraid. It said it, as a matter of fact. He says, he, he left could not be afraid of the anger of the king, right? For he endured as seeing him who is invisible, right? God. So Again, we know Moses has flaws. He had some fear. What does this mean? Some people try to say, well, maybe he's talking about the, the second, the exodus, right? He clearly wasn't as afraid then. Maybe, but that would be taking it completely out of chronological order. Next week, we're going to look at the Passover, right? So that wouldn't make a lot of sense. So in some ways, the Hebrews writer is just doing what he does. He's drawing out a piece of the story to prove as an example that even in his fear, he had faith. Because if he had stayed there, he would have been killed. There was a part of Moses that knew there's a better plan. I'm going to trust God. I don't know what that is, but I'm going to trust God. And we all know what happened. In 40 years, he'll encounter a bush that's burning but not really burning and he will become the man God uses to go and really save his people but he needs 40 years of humbling first anyone relate to that hopefully you're at the end of your 40 years and you get to work trusting God and here's I think the whole point is that real faith takes real courage I would suggest if you don't already do that as a regular prayer every day God 
give me, in the name of Jesus, by the power of your spirit, give me courage today. Courage to risk for you. Courage to sacrifice. Courage to do what you're calling me to do. To suffer the reproach, suffer the humiliation, suffer whatever it is. Give me courage. And that's our prayer today. So I'm going to invite our worship team up. And as they come up and get ready and and all that, um, I just want you to think about those questions. First, what am I risking for the Lord? Second, what am I sacrificing because of my faith? And third, to go along with that, what am I fixing my eyes on right now? And where do my eyes need to go? Or where do my eyes need to stay if they're fixed on the right thing? And so I'm going to pray for you and then just give you a little space to let God start answer that question for you. Those are hard questions. We'd rather just say, yeah, everything's great. But that's not why we're here, is it? And if you are someone who's never trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, that's always the first step. Right? You can't start risking for him if you don't know him in faith. And so this is your time to just say, Jesus I don't know it all. I don't know the end of the story, but I surrender my life and faith to you. You died for me. You rose. You're my Lord. You're my Savior. So many of us have already done that. We invite you to do that too. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the story of the flawed Moses, for the story of the scared Hebrew slaves who did what was right without having any idea what was going to happen. They just said, we trust you, God. Father, I pray right now that you would evaluate our hearts, young and old and everywhere in between, different experiences, married, single, divorced, widowed, whatever our situations are, what are you calling us to risk for you? And as as we sit in silence for a second, I just pray you'd bring it to mind. What do we need to risk? mind, Lord, it's maybe it's a, a neighbor we've been meaning to serve in your name or a friend we've not shared the gospel with and we know you've called us to or something bigger, a mission trip or ministry or we're going to risk humiliation, we're going to risk something. You're calling us, show us, God. Give us courage. Give our students courage and a life full of everything that's opposed to the gospel, just like Egypt, that they might have courage to risk for you someone who's worth it. Lord, I pray for each one now. What are, we, what are you asking us to sacrifice, suffer reproach for you, your name? Thank you that so many here sacrifice so much money, time, affection, attention for your gospel, for you. We celebrate that. Thank you, God. That's you working in your people. But I pray, Lord, right now, what, what are we not giving up that you want us to? Show us, Lord.
Father, I pray that this would be questions that work on us all week and show us. And I ask you, God, to, most importantly, to give us courage to do what you've called us to do each day. That would be our prayer. Give us courage for today to live for you, to keep our eyes fixed on you. And Lord, for anyone who's just needs you desperately, Jesus, today, that they would call on your name. Save them. All who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. You said that. You promised that. I pray for whoever that is in this room that right now they put their faith completely in you. You love them. Your grace is greater. Your mercy is better. Show them that deep into their heart. We love you. We worship your name above all names. And through whatever fears, we can have courage because of your strength. We worship you now. It's in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen. Let's stand and sing to our God praises.